Welcome to How Leaders Lead. I'm Kula Callahan here to bring you another edition of Three More Questions with David Novak. David, I'm so glad to be back on our Three More Questions show with you. How are you? I'm doing great, Kula, and I'm looking forward to this. And today we're discussing my conversation with Dan Rooney. Dan is a lieutenant colonel. He's an Air Force fighter pilot, and he's the founder and CEO of the Folds of Honor organization that gives scholarships to the spouses and kids of America's fallen or disabled veterans. And just recently announced it's going to include first responders as well, which I think is fantastic. And this is the perfect week for us to talk to Dan because it's Veterans Day and it's a great time to celebrate the people who are really making things happen. This episode was so inspiring. I'm just so moved by Dan's posture around difficult situations and dark times in your life. He says that it's these challenging moments in life that really define us. And Dan's a guy who cares a lot more about what you've overcome than what title you hold or what you've accomplished in your life. And if you haven't listened to this episode, I highly recommend going back and listening to the whole thing. Not only will you learn about why those fighter jets fly so close together, you'll also just get a lot of hope and motivation to just keep moving forward when things are tough. You know, Dan talks about the importance of embracing challenge and facing tough situations. You know, let's give a real shout out to all those people in our armed forces because they're doing that every day and they're doing it for our freedom. And we're so blessed to have them out there working on our behalf. I can't imagine putting my life in danger and having bullets fly around me. These people, they're, they're prepared to do that every single day for us. And, you know, I thank God for all of the people out there doing it and their families who are also sacrificing. Absolutely. So grateful to everyone who serves our country and hope that you feel celebrated this week and this day. Uh, but for now, it's time to get rolling on the three more questions, David. You ready? Let's go. All right, question number one. According to Dan, being a leader in the military means that you tell people to do something and then they just do it because you're the one in charge and you said so. But in business, that doesn't always work. People don't want to follow a leader who says, do this because I said so. What do leaders have to do to really influence people and get them to move towards a goal? You know, it's interesting because I've talked to a a lot of leaders in the military and also in the business world. And the best leaders really talk about the fact that, you know, their job is to get people to want to do something, to do it because they know it's the right thing. And they believe that the best way to get at that is to have everybody understand why you have the particular mission you have in the military or in business. You know, Dwight D. Eisenhower had a absolute fantastic quote, which I've used in all of my leadership programs that I've taught. And it is, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want done because he or she wants to do it. And, you know, the fact is, Kula, telling really isn't selling. And the world has really evolved a lot in the last 50 years. You know, there used to be a time where you could be the general and just tell people what to do and they'd climb up the hill. You know, there used to be a time when you were a CEO and you could just say, do it. And you didn't have to tell people why. That's not the case today. The case today is people want to know why and they want to draw their own conclusions. And I think the best leaders lead people to those conclusions and know that telling is indeed not selling. 
What a leader really has to do is cast that vision in a way that people find themselves in it. So if you say, hey, we're going here because I want to go here, right? I, as a participant or a team member, I don't really find myself in that story. So I'm not as engaged or involved in it as I could be. But if you say, hey, we're going here because it matters to these people and you're a critical part of us achieving this mission, all of a sudden I find myself in that story and in that mission. And it puts a lot more meaning to the work that I have to do. So I think another big part of that is leaders casting a vision and a mission that really involves the very people that they lead. You know, Cool. That is a fantastic insight where you want people to find themselves inside that mission. That's just such a great way to think about leadership. And, you know, I remember I always said to the people at Yum, what are you doing in your piece of Yum to help us become the defining global company that feeds the world? I wanted people to know that they counted. And and your insight is just right on the money because that was very powerful for us at Yum. And I'm sure for all the other leaders out there that do the same thing. Find your piece in it. I love that. I do too. All right, let's move on. Question number two. As a fighter pilot, you take in copious amounts of information at lightning fast speeds. And if you can't prioritize that information in a matter of seconds, it could mean life or death. And in business, you know, hopefully the stakes that we're dealing with aren't life and death every day, but leaders still need to know how to prioritize things. And David, I want to know from you, what would you say to a leader who's struggling with how to prioritize key initiatives and tasks that they have to get done? Well, Kula, I think the most important thing you can do is really identify what's the most important thing that you need to put process and discipline around to really make sure that your business performs. What matters most and then make sure you spend your time on it. From a business perspective, as CEO, I said, what can I do that will have the, the biggest impact on our company? And I built it around our formula for success. Number one, I wanted to focus on people capability. Number two, I wanted to make sure I understood everything I could about what our customers were looking for, what we were learning from our customers, and making sure that our company around the world was focused on making our customers happier. And number three, I knew as a CEO, there was only one person who could really represent you know, what we were all about to the investment community. So I focused each week on really thinking through the problems with uh, our investors, the opportunities with our investors, and and doing things that could uh, help drive our stock price. And so I, I literally organized my calendar around those three things. So for example, on the people front, I did one-on-one coaching sessions with my direct reports every week. And I also put in my calendar one-on-one coaching sessions with our general managers around the world so that over the course of 52 weeks, I would hit the top 50 people in our company with a real one-on-one coaching session that would help them. From a customer perspective, I went out in the stores. I talked to customers. I wanted to know what they were thinking about our new products or our new operating systems. And I read all the research that I could get that we were doing internally on our customers. Whenever I had the chance to to speak to to our people, I always focused on the importance of making sure that we were adding more value for our customers than competition, because I knew that was critical to our success. And and then on the investor front, 
I literally would call our top five investors throughout the week if I thought it could make a difference. Didn't always have to do it, but it was always front and center and the investor relations people knew that if they needed me to help make a message clear to our investors, I was there to really help them. And I have to tell you another thing. You got to get rid of all the things that don't really matter in your life in the world of business. You know, I hated to see it when people became presidents and CEOs and they started playing president and CEO. (laughs) And all of a sudden you spend all your time going to these black tie affairs and, you know, representing your company in the community and, you know, going to all these meetings that really aren't going to move your business forward one iota, but makes you feel like you're the big dog when you walk into the room. You know, that kind of stuff, I think, is just extraneous activity that gets in the way of you really driving your business. I always think about when things get crazy, let's get back to the basics, right? So, you know, your example of how to prioritize things is really helpful because you create that discipline and process around it. But, you know, maybe you're a small business owner and cash flow is low and you might be kind of freaking out at this point. Let's just get back to the basics. Look at overhead, look at cash flow, make sure you have enough to make payroll and pay your bills through the end of the year and check your vital signs. There's a reason that when you present to the ER, they check your vitals first, right? So if you are in a position where you might be stressed out about the future of your business or you don't really know what to do to make sure you survive, get back to the basics, check your vital signs, cash flow, overhead. And then I love what you said, David, about being able to say no to things. There might be new products or new markets that you really want to tap into, but if that's not something you can afford to do at this time, you got to say no to that and create that discipline around the things that are really going to move the needle for you. And you know, cool, sometimes the apple cart just gets upset. Things happen that you would never anticipate. You know, I remember when we were having our first child, Ashley, my wife, Wendy, went in for amniocentesis on a, on a Wednesday. And at four o'clock, they said, there's no way that the baby is ready, uh, that the baby had to mature because, you know, she was a high-risk pregnancy and we were thinking about taking the baby early. And the next day at, at four o'clock, as <laughs> his uh, fate would have it, I get this call that she's having the baby. I said, no, she, you can't have the baby. <laughs> you know, yeah, she's not ready to have the baby. Well, our daughter was like 10 weeks premature and I dropped everything. I, you know, I wasn't thinking about people, customers, and finances. I, you know, I was thinking about my family and my daughter that I wanted to live so badly. And, you know, I told everybody I'm, I'm going to the hospital and I don't know when I'm coming back. And my daughter came home from the hospital and baby doll closed 23 days later. I was so lucky because everybody at work had my back and they said, you be where you're needed most right now. We, we can cover the business. So I spent most of my time at the hospital and very little time at work. And, you know, that was because I knew what was really important. So, you know, sometimes things happen that kind of change things around. And at that point in time, you just got to do what you know you have to do. Do the right thing. That's a great lead in to question number three of our conversation today. I love this question. In the interview, Dan talks about what he refers to as fly into the wind moments. These moments in your life that present intense challenge and intense difficulty. Uh, And he talks about how those moments are the ones that really define us. And I want to know, David Novak, what was your fly into the wind moment? What's been a difficult moment in your life and what have you learned from it? Well, I think probably the biggest 
personal fly-in-the-wind moment that I had was when I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had to immediately take action. Once I learned that I had cancer, within the next three days, I identified three hospitals that I, I needed to go visit and interview, the oncologists and the surgeons. And, you know, I did that immediately that next week. And, you know, then I went through the process of being treated for cancer, which included like 14 weeks of chemotherapy and eight weeks of daily radiation. And, and it was a tough slog. But I said, okay, I'm going to make the most out of this. First of all, I'm going to survive. How am I going to survive? Well, I'm going to learn from people. And I learned from Lance Armstrong. And I learned that he worked out twice a day on chemo days. So that's exactly what I did. I worked out twice a day on chemo days and then worked out every day that week and worked out throughout my radiation. But I stayed in shape because I knew that if you moved, you had a much higher likelihood. I played golf tournaments. I was bald as a bat, okay? I mean, I, I didn't have any hair and I didn't care. I just... I was going to live my life the best that I could do it. I even did a People magazine did an article on me, me being a CEO, and I happened to have cancer at the time. And they said, you know, the PR people come in and said, do you really want to do this article? You know, you're bald. And I said, yeah, you're right. I'm bald, but I'm going to do the article. <laughs> and I wanted to use it as a way to build awareness of the fact that men could have breast cancer, which happens very rarely, but it's happening more and more now. But I want people to be aware that, that it's a possibility. So I just kind of like said, okay, I'm going to use this opportunity to show people that cancer can't stop you if you've got the right mindset. And I'm going to do use this opportunity to build awareness of the fact that I have breast cancer rather than be embarrassed by it. And believe me, it was not something that I felt great about. I mean, you know, when I went into the oncologist uh, for my doctor's appointment, you know, I would look at the forms you'd have to fill out and they'd ask me, when is your last menstrual uh, period, okay? <laughs> and uh, that didn't feel good, but hey, you know, sometimes things don't feel good, but you got to make the most of it. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I am most impressed with, with leaders and just people in general, is how they respond to these challenging moments. And there are a lot of people in this world who have this mindset that says, this horrible thing is happening to me. I can't do anything about it. And they kind of play this victim role and it ends up actually impacting their lives in a pretty negative way. But what I am most inspired by is people who encounter these really challenging, surprising, sometimes horrific moments and say, this is happening in my life. I can do what I can do and control the things I can control. And I'm going to use this as a lesson to grow as a person and to grow as a leader. And I love how in this episode, Dan really talks about how you can do that well and the mindset and posture that you have to have to embrace these challenging moments and let them grow you into the person that you are meant to be. And you know, Cooley, it doesn't always have to be the huge monumental moment. There are a lot of stuff that happens every day where sort of the proverbial X hits the fan. You know, <laughs> just recently, I, I was going to have a, a strategic meeting and I had lined up three people on the team that I thought were very important and making sure that that meeting could be really great with a potential uh, client. And on the way to the meeting, we get word that the only person that they wanted to meet with was me. Now, this really irritated the hell out of me because <laughs> I, I had had my team with me and we were all going there and we all had a role. But I also knew that it was important that, that our company put forward its best foot. And if that's what they wanted to do, then I could live with it. So I, I flipped the script in my own mind. I said, you know, 
they probably just want to meet with me so that we can really have a really intimate meeting, get all the issues out on the table, and nobody's really going to be concerned about what everybody else thinks in the room. And, you know, so I went into that meeting, not as a victim, but I went into that meeting thinking to myself, this is a group that really wants to work with us. And now we just got to figure out how we can do it. And they've organized this meeting in their mind on a way that will make it most effective. And the other thing in situations like there, you got to ask yourself, what could have I have done differently Right. To make sure that this problem didn't occur. And obviously, you know, what I could have done differently is make sure if it's okay that these other three people come with me, you know, and not assume that it's it's all right. You know that old saying, once you assume, you know, you you make a ass out of you and me, okay? And and that can happen. So you don't want to assume. So anyway. Things happen all the time, big and small, but the real leaders have a way to flip the script and turn it into a positive and figure out how you can make the most of it. Absolutely. Well, you you model that really well for the people that you lead, David, and I'm grateful to be a part of that group. Well, that wraps up today's three more questions episode. David, thanks so much for your great insights. And thank you for tuning in to another episode of How Leaders Lead. We're on a mission to make the world a better place by developing better leaders. And if you carve out a little time with us each and every week, we'll help you build the confidence you need to lead well. You know, Cool always thanks me for my insights. I want to thank her for her insights. She brings so much to this podcast and I always love the conversation and getting her vantage point as well. So, Tune in Thursday for my conversation with Gail Troberman. She's the president and CMO of iHeartMedia, and she's got a lot of insights that I know you're going to love hearing. 